0: Good morning. Glad you are with me today. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while since we have been staying in our homes, and we're just now getting opened up, and we still have not opened up facilities at Central, but we look to do so as soon as possible. So please continue your prayers to that God would bless us with the end of this virus, this pandemic. Today is probably going to be a difficult time for me to say these things in part because of my experiences. So bear with me, if you will. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about something that's been going on in our country for years. It has not been talked about because in part, we don't know what to say. At least that's my opinion. In the book of James... Is a passage that I will start off with momentarily. So, invite you to turn with me, if you would please, to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. It was four weeks ago that a man by the name of George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And of course, we have seen the riots uh, and the protests on TV covering. Um, many cities in our nation, uh, many cities around the world who have reacted uh, to this abhorrent crime. And while I don't know all of the facts that went on with this, I do know what I saw from a bystander's video, a video that you have seen clips from. A man by the name of George Floyd, who happens to be African-American, was on the ground, with a police officer sitting on him with his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. Mr. Floyd died as a result of that interaction with the police officer. There were three other police officers around him and there were other people with him. And of course, when this happens, and rightfully so, it draws attention to a racial divide in our nation. A divide that should not be there, but a divide that is there. That divide even affects those in churches. It has historically, and it has continually. Uh, I'm glad it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's bad enough, and it shouldn't be that way. And there are many reasons that we could get into about this, and they would come from the political to the practical to the religious. And But we need to end this type of behavior In our country, it's not right. And the church needs to stand at the forefront in trying to overcome this evil. So let me begin with James to establish a foundation of what James is saying that I think applies in this situation that we're dealing in. James writes, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man dressed in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. you Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him, but you have dishonored the poor man is not Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? if however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you are showing partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I think that's an adequate statement of James in that passage that we need to think about under the present circumstances that we find ourselves in. And people are responding in violent ways because. That's just the only thing, I guess, they know what to do. Now, granted, there are some who are just violent people who are caught up in this. And they are trying to exercise, not to bring about a discussion on racial harmony, but they are trying to further other political agendas. At least that's my opinion. And then there are those others who are just opportunists to see in the riots that they can go in and improve what they think is their state in life by getting some merchandise that they don't have to pay for. And that is wrong as well. The protests that are nonviolent that haven't hurt anyone are such as are protesting an evil, an evil that was done to a man, a man of African-American descent. Partiality was shown. Now, I don't know all of the circumstances surrounding Mr. Floyd's death. I only know of the circumstances that I have seen, uh, and that is one-sided. I don't know what the other circumstance was, but from what I've seen in the video, that was uncalled for. And it'll take a lot to convince me otherwise that it was called for as a normal reaction Part of my decision is based upon the cavalier or the careless, carefree attitude of the police officer who had his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck and has been charged with his murder. But anyway, aside from all that, let's look at this today, because James is talking in the church to Christians about not showing partiality to anyone, not to a poor man or to a rich man we are brothers in Christ and as such we should act that way i can only speak from my experiences and my experiences are not very many uh i grew up in an area where there were no racial minorities and that's all i can say now for the first 7 years of my life i lived in a slightly larger town where there were some minorities but I only have vague recollections of things that happened. One recollection that I have that sticks in my mind to this day is I was in my second grade class and I could see my classroom vaguely, but I know what happened. It was Valentine's day. Uh, We were all getting ready and excited because that's what seven year old boys and girls do. They're excited about Valentine's Day because they're going to get candy. And you get some cute little Valentine's cards and you sign it, be my Valentine, and you you put some candy in an envelope and you go around to everybody's desk and you drop them in their envelope on their desk, if you will. But for some reason, a reason that I do not know to this day, I was not permitted to give out two Valentine's Day cards. My parents didn't buy them, and I didn't have any. And specifically, I was told, as I recall now, that I couldn't give them, and I believe they were two little young girls in my class. They were the same age as me, two seven-year-old girls in my class. They happened to be African-American. And as everybody went around and as I skipped their desk, I just felt bad. It just really didn't strike me as being right, and it wasn't right. But apparently, racism, as we know, is taught. Now, from that incident, I didn't learn racism. We moved from that town, and I lived in a Caucasian majority area, no racial minorities at all, for thirty miles in either side of us. It was a farming town in. South Central Kansas. And that's just the way life was. So I didn't grow up with any bad feelings about minority races, but I didn't grow up with any good feelings. I just didn't know any. And I think therein lies a situation that we need to learn that racism is something that is learned. It is not a natural reaction. There's a picture going around on the internet, at least on Facebook, of two little boys and they're probably in the first grade and they look, you know, just as different as can be because one is an African-American and one is an Anglo. Uh, But they have shirts on and they tell everyone that they're twins. And the only difference, you know, the reason they're twins is they have the same haircut. It is cropped very close to the scalp and they're just as happy as can be. There's another video going around that shows two little children, probably toddlers, maybe four years old, running toward each other, giving each other a big hug. And one's, again, an African-American and one is a Caucasian. That's the way children are. Children don't know to be racist. They learn to be racist from their families, from their surroundings. and We have to do our best to unlearn it. And the church needs to lead out and take a strong point in this. And so I just want to take this time to remind us that God loves all. It was in John's Gospel in chapter 3 in verse 16, a most quoted verse in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I tried to emphasize the words there. God loved the world. What part of the world? The Jewish world? No, he loved the world. He loved all the world. That whosoever would believe on Jesus, just Jews? What about all the Gentiles out there? What about all the Gentile, the various races within what was known as Gentiles. And in the Jewish mind, there were only two distinctions. You were either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And oftentimes Paul uses a a word in the Greek to translate Gentile is ethnos. Our word ethnic comes from that. And ethnic is just something that is going to show our distinctions and our distinctiveness based upon our cultural upbringing, our location of where we live, and race will be a part of it. It may deal with language. Um, It may deal with, I mean, Anglos are in Italy. They speak Italian. Anglos are also in Germany. They speak German. So we have that type of an issue going on. They are the same racial structure, if you will. God loved the world. And you know how else I know that God loved the world? because in the very genealogy of Jesus, now oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, a lot of people like to skip over the genealogies, but it's very important because we see right in the beginning God's love for the world. In Matthew chapter one, it starts off, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Ruth, hold on to that, Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. Um, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. And of course, we know that Jesus was the son of David. But you see, there are two people in his genealogy there that are very significant. They were both Gentiles. That was Rahab, who was a harlot in uh, Jericho, and then Ruth. Who was a Moabitess? She was a Gentile. She was not of the Jewish people. And in the very genealogies of Jesus, what we see is, is that Jesus has Gentile lineage. Why is that important? He identifies with all of us, no matter what race we are a part of. He identifies with us. And I think that's something that God wanted us to know. You see, Prejudice is wrong. Showing of partiality. We do it all the time. You know, I am partial to various types of food. Nothing wrong with that. But in showing a partiality with people, it's wrong. Now, how do we overcome racism? Through understanding. Understanding through what God has said. The things that I've spoken about here already should give us a line to that. But in Matthew chapter 22, we have in a man who came and asked Jesus, he was a lawyer, uh, not in our sense of a lawyer, but he studied the Jewish law. Uh, And he asked Jesus a question, says, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, on one occasion, when Jesus told these things, a the man asked him, Well, who is my neighbor? That's in Luke's gospel. And we know that Luke then went on to teach a parable about a man who was beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road to die. And two men, passed by him going down from Jerusalem on the other side. They stayed on the other side of the road. They didn't get close to him. One was a priest. The other was a Levite. But there was another man, a Samaritan. And he stopped, cleaned up his wounds the best he could, and took him to an inn and gave the innkeeper some money to take care of him and said, use whatever you have. This runs out. I'll come back and check on him, and I'll pay you then what you've spent on his care. That man was a Samaritan. So we know that those who are our neighbor are those who are fundamentally in need. We don't know if the man who was attacked was a Jew or a Samaritan or someone from some other type of a Gentile from the area. Um, But we do know that the Samaritan was singled out. The man was singled out who needed Help the man that we saw in need is our neighbor, so anyone literally could be our neighbor, and when we see them in that sense, we see them as worthy of our help, worthy of our relationships. Another passage is found in Acts chapter 10. This is a passage when, up until this point, the church was Jewish. They were Jewish Christians. But this is the passage where we learn about a man in the Roman army, Cornelius. It was at Caesarea. He was a centurion in the Italian cohort. He was a devout man, verse 2, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And he had a vision to send to Joppa for one who was a man named Peter, Peter. So he called his people to him and did so. At the same time, Peter was having a vision. Um, And it says, Peter was up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and of birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky peter was perplexed he didn't understand what this means it tells us as luke continues on in writing and then some people found him they were calling out and it says in verse 19 while reflecting on the vision the spirit told him three men are looking for you and go downstairs accompany them without misgivings for i have sent them myself they were Gentiles. And so then Peter went and preached to Cornelius and his household words by which they might be saved, according to chapter 11. Peter went to a Gentile household. He was forbidden by Jewish law to do that. He was forbidden by Jewish culture and upbringing to do that. But he did it. Why? Because God sent him. Because God showed him this vision that he had cleansed everything, and there is now no longer Jew nor Gentile. They are all one. But another time, this is coming from Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 17, his sermon on Mars Hill. And it says that as they had an idol to an unknown God, and Paul used that idol, and he says, I proclaim what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you the God who made the world and all things in it. All things would include all people, since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to people life and breath and all things, all people. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he was not far from each one of us. For in him we live, move, and exist, even if some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then, get this, children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold, silver, or stone, or an image by the art formed by the art and thought of man. You see, God created all, and he wants them to know that. Paul is preaching, Peter is preaching a gospel that includes not only Jew, but Gentiles. Paul is preaching that very same thing. And even though there were some problems and struggles in the church, and they fell sometimes on racial lines, those were rebuked. Those were challenged, and they should not live that way. And so Paul would write write later on in Galatians chapter 3, that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. They are now in Christ. And listen to what he now says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. But get that, there's neither Jew nor Greek. They're they're all one. Paul would make this a further apparent by his words in Ephesians chapter 2. He said the Gentiles were formally excluded from God, that there was a barrier with them, between them, because the Jews were recognized as God's people because of the covenant of circumcision, according to the covenant given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. He says in verse 12 of chapter 2, remember you were separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They were on the outside looking in. The Jews at that time were God's chosen people. Exodus chapter 19, verses four and five. But he says, he goes on, but now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, establishing peace, might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by having put it to death the enmity. You see, the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. A gospel of reconciliation of man to God, Romans chapter 5. And a gospel of reconciliation between man and man. And there's a couple more passages I want to share with you, and then we'll close out. This is the final chapters in the Revelation letter. This is what happens in chapter 21 and 22. It's all over. The book of Revelation basically means God wins and his church wins. And there's the city in chapter 21 and verse 22. He says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The nations." Again, the Greek word ethnos, it's a word that means everyone but the Jews. It it means every ethnic group, literally. Very similar to what Jesus would say in Matthew 28 when he's commissioned his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Matthew 28 says, all authority has been granted to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, patata ethne, every ethnic group, every culture, every race, every people, every ethnic group, in keeping with what John wrote in chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life that is us as christians we are to go into every ethnic group and proclaim the gospel so it will reconcile them to god and in reconciling them to god they're reconciled to us because they are now our brother so if you're following along in your bible turn with me if you would please to first john first john deals with the love of God, uh, quite extensively. He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. That's what we have to do. Now I have some ideas on the racial things as what's going on. I honestly think sometimes government makes it harder because they meddle. This is not something that government can solve. We have to solve it as individual Christians, reaching out to one another, reaching out to the world, because Laws cannot, laws can legislate numbers. They can legislate that you hire X number of whatever they want, but they can't legislate that you accept them as a brother. They can't legislate that you respect them, but love does. Love does that. And so that's what I want us to do is to grow. I know this just doesn't even touch the hem of the garment, so to speak. These are some thoughts that I've had, and I just wanted to share them with you today. As we strive to deal with these protests and these riots, know that the way we get through them, as with any moral issue, is not through legislation, but through love. The love of God that compels us to go to our fellow man and talk to them, to listen to them. To respect them and to proclaim the gospel to them. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the end. And I just want to thank you for listening to me today. And I pray that these thoughts are some that will bless you uh, as you've listened to them. I pray that you'll continue to pray that our nation will be healed and that God's church will take the forefront in reconciling mankind to God and to one another. Thank you again for being with me. I really appreciate it. God bless.